This morning, church, aren't you thankful for the sure and steady promises of the peace of God? We're talking about peace today, but that song just reminds me, and that is straight scripture as we walk through the Shema of Deuteronomy, that we are to tell our children these things, that God is with us, that he loves us. And we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he does go before us. He encamps about us. He surrounds us. And he gives us peace. And, and here's the thing that's so amazing to me, is that in God's economy, it's not just peace. It's peace that passes understanding. You, you realize in God's economy, we don't just have grace It's amazing grace. You you realize in God's economy, we don't just have joy. We have unspeakable joy. Amen? Anybody here know what I'm talking about? Have you experienced amazing grace? Do you have unspeakable joy? Do you know that there is a peace that passes all understanding? It happens. Well, again, happy Father's Day. It is a great day to celebrate because God revealed himself as a heavenly father. Fathers here on earth are a reflection of that God. I'll tell you one more dad joke if I can. That's one of those things that I've just kind of been uh, cheesily known for in my house. I don't know, Mackenzie, that I ever told that one, but I probably will add that to my repertoire. She said that I told it. I may have at some point. Do you know what the janitor said when he jumped out of the closet? Supplies, that's all I got. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're looking at this matter of being a peacemaker. You, if you've been with us for any length of time in this series, our focus has been very simple. We're spending two weeks on one verse. Each week, we do something unique. Last week, Scott Alexander brought out Matthew chapter 5, this verse for us on peacemaking, and he shared with us what it means to be a peacemaker and what the blessing is for being a peacemaker. So that's kind of week one. And week two, every time has been how to cultivate this. So today, we want to talk about cultivating peace. Let me just ask this. Anybody experience turmoil in their life ever? Anybody need a little peace in their life? Well, let's talk about today being peacemakers, about pursuing peace. And we're going to look together to Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. And and as we look at Matthew 5, 9, I, I want you to see what a joy it is for us to gather together on this Lord's Day. And And I want you to see something unique about these Beatitudes, something that we maybe have not really fully introduced. I've told you that these are not uh, steps to becoming a Christian, but they are a description of a Christian. The blessed life, when we are in Christ, these things will be a part of our lives. And I want you to think about that. The, The Beatitude basically is telling us that the blessings of eternity will be given only to those who become new creatures. Think about it. For example, blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the the sons of God. So the pursuit of peace really tells us something we need to hear. And I want to, to put this on the screen. I want you to think about it. If we don't obtain mercy, what do we receive? Judgment. So we better be merciful. It says that the ones that will obtain mercy are those that are merciful. That's a description. That means that a Christian will be a merciful, forgiving person. Well, if we don't see God, that means that we're not in heaven. Hello. And it says very pointedly, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. So if we don't see God, then we're not in heaven. That's not our final salvation. 
If we're not called in today's verse the sons of God, then that means we're outside the family, right? I mean, we're either sons of God or we're outside his family. And if we're not sons of God, it means that perhaps it's tied uniquely to this verse that Scott preached last week. And I'll attempt to preach this week and draw out some truth because the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God or children of God of God. We're either in or out of the family. So these beatitudes are like long spikes, long nails, if you will, in a coffin of a false teaching of salvation. There are a whole lot of people that say this, well, if you just believe in Jesus, then you're going to go to heaven. Whether or not you're merciful or pure in heart or a peacemaker, With each beatitude, another nail is driven into that coffin, and inside that coffin lies the corpse of a false understanding of salvation. And here, what I want you to see, there is a false understanding that says a person can be saved without being changed. I want you to read that statement with me. It's on the screen. There is a false, let's all read it together. There is a false understanding that says a person can be saved without being changed. Now, my job is not to judge your salvation, but I can be a fruit inspector and I can look into someone's life and you can look into mine and say, he's not very merciful. He's not very forgiving. He, he doesn't sing peace. I know some contentious people in this world that love strife. They love to fight. They love to argue. They love to, to bow up and demand their rights. And as we think about those things, a person will not inherit eternal life if their attitude and their actions are not like the attitude and actions of Christ. In fact, many, many people act like the world. They come to church, they're religious, they do religious things, but there's no transformation in their life. There's no power that has shown or demonstrated an eternal change in their heart and in their life. And that's precisely, church family, why I wanted to spend time in these Beatitudes. I think it's critical for us to do self-examination. Am I of the faith? Am I a believer? Am I walking in truth? It's not based on the sincerity of your faith or the size of your faith. It's based on the object of your faith. Have I placed my faith in Jesus? Am I trusting him? And if you're trusting in him, he's transforming you. You see, that idea that a person can be saved without being changed is fundamental to what we're saying here because my sermon today is not a series of steps on how to make the world a little better, a little more peaceful, a little brighter. No, what I want you to hear is this. When Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, they will be called the sons of God. He's not telling you how to become a son of God. He is telling you simply that the sons of God are in fact peacemakers. Basically, genuine children will look like their daddy. You ever noticed family resemblance? You ever seen that in a child? People say it in all kinds of ways. Man, he marked them well. You can't deny that that one belongs to him. I mean, there's just this picture of a, a child looking like a parent. And, and as you think about that, the idea is that we will progressively look more and more and more like our heavenly father. 
that we would develop his characteristics and his heart. People who are peacemakers will be recognized as the sons of God. Sons of God will be recognized as peacemakers. When you're in the community, when you're in the world, when you're at work, when you're in your home as a parent. Now, let me say this. As I consider this idea of preaching, I put together my preaching calendar some time ago. And and I'll just be honest. Preachers have temptations on days like today to preach, you know, special messages. I need to preach to the dads today. I mean, we pick certain days, Mother's Day and Father's Day and the the 4th of July and and Thanksgiving and and Christmas and Easter. We're going to preach a different message. But as I put the calendar together some time ago, I just stuck with our flow because I said there's not a greater need in the life of a dad than being a peacemaker, that the men need to set the pace in their home and in their lives and in their jobs as men who would be peaceable and they would strive for peace and they would cultivate peace. I just think that that's so vitally important for us to consider. I can't think of a better application for blessed are the peacemakers than for the home. What is the highest form of peacemaking? It's making peace with men and with God. There's nothing that I can do in this world that puts on display God's power to bring peace into chaos and conflict than for someone to surrender their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and be reconciled to God eternally. And so, I want to say this to you, sharing the gospel, the good news of the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, the salvation through his eternal work is the most important and significant act of peacemaking that I can do. Leading a person directly to faith in Christ may just be the greatest peacemaking effort that you could ever possibly do. And let me say this, dads, you've got a great responsibility to do this. Now, I want everybody to hear, I'm not just preaching to the dads. Because the pattern has been, on Mother's Day, we build up moms, and on Father's Day, we beat up dads. Well, today, I want to encourage everyone here to think about this idea. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Our lives are marked by very distinct family characteristics. We have the features of our father, so to speak. Dads, you have a great responsibility to do this. Your influence in the life of your children for them to come toward Christ or away from Christ is great. Little eyes are watching. Little ears are listening. And what you say and what you do and how you act and what you watch and where you go and how you spend your time and what you invest your heart in, they will see. They'll take note of. And you have the opportunity to be a clear example to lead them. Oftentimes it's been said that ball can become bail. And if we're not careful, we're more worried about our son's batting average than we are his holiness and his eternal stake. And the numbers of kids that will grow up and hit the big time and make the big leagues and and be professional in whatever that sport may be pales in comparison to the number that will face God. Because the number that will face God is everyone. And oh, dads, you ought to be on your knees praying and saying, I I may not raise the greatest athlete. I may not raise the greatest scholar, but I raised a young man or a young woman to love Jesus Christ and to know him for all eternity and to spend eternity in heaven with God. That's the most important thing you can do. So think about this. I want you to be a peacemaker. If you are a Christian, stand up and show the resemblance that you have to the characteristics of your father. All of us need to display the features of our father. 
If you belong to the Father, you'll look like the Father. If you belong to the Father, you'll behave like the Father. So dads and everyone here, do you want to be peacemakers? I hope that you do. I want to give you five quick thoughts about being a peacemaker. And I want you to hear this debate is not just a take it or leave it prospect. The Bible says, for they will be called sons of God. If you're contentious, if you're not a peacemaker, we might very well from this verse alone be able to question whether or not you actually are in the family. Because God's family will be filled with peacemakers. Let me ask you this do you anticipate heaven? Does your life demonstrate that you're a child of God? Let me offer five quick thoughts on peacemaking. This has to do with fathers in the family. It has to do with marriages. It has to do with your work, with classmates, with coworkers, and in the church. Number one, if you're going to be a peacemaker, be ready or prepared to give up your rights. Be prepared to give up your rights. You say, well, hold on, Pastor, but I, I, but I, I, but I, no, 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 no. There's not a but I in that. Dead men don't have rights. Galatians 2.20 said, I have been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. Dead men don't have rights. And when we bow our chest and demand our rights, we are headed far, far away from this matter of peacemaking. You say, yeah, but what? then, then I'm going to have to compromise. No, I didn't say give up your standards. I didn't say give up your convictions. I didn't say bend on the truth, but I said give up your rights. You just die to Christ and let Christ take care of the rest. In fact, I, I'll just give you the example. What would life be like if God had demanded his rights? What would life look like if he had stood upon his rights? You and I would all be in hell right now. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 demonstrates this. I want to put it on the screen and I want to read through it. It says this, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. You see, Jesus Christ gave up his rights. He took the humble position of a slave and was born a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on the cross. I just imagine this. Christ gave up unbroken experience of heavenly joy. He disrobed himself of the glory of heaven. He set aside all of the praise and the laud and the honor of the angels that had been attending to the holiness of God. And he stepped out of heaven and stepped into earth. And he didn't come riding a white horse in a triumphant fashion. He came as a baby. He came in humility, clothed in humility and clothed in flesh. And he did so, so that that you and I could be made right with God. He was on an ultimate mission of mercy, making peace with God and with man. He brought us together. You cannot make peace by standing on your own rights. He gave up his right, and he came into this world and offers to you and to me peace. You know, what's the, the ultimate way that peace comes in the midst of conflict? One side has to surrender. The ultimate sign of surrender is the uplifted hand. I, I give up, waving the white flag. Some of you today 
have been fighting with God. You say, no, 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 Pastor, me and God, we're cool. No, you're not. The Bible says that we are at enmity with God. We're at war with God, that our sin has set us at odds with God. And today, some of you just need to surrender to Jesus Christ. You need to say, I need peace in my life. I desperately want peace. And the only way that true, lasting, genuine peace will come is when you surrender yourself, your life to God. You have to give up your rights. You need to say, I no longer am calling the shots in my own life. You want to be at peace with God? Surrender and say, I'll give up my rights. You want to be at peace in in the church? You want to be at peace at work, in your marriage? Dads, you want to be at peace in your home? Then, Then give up those rights. Don't give up your authority, but don't demand your way. You need to begin to seek in this matter to be a peacemaker. Number two, I want you to see this. You need to move toward trouble. You need to move toward the trouble. Now, that's not hard for some of you. Some of you looking for a fight. You know, some of you live like a hammer, and when you do, everything starts to look like a nail. And that's problematic. You don't need to live your life that way. That's dangerous. There are contentious people in this world that love a good argument. They love a good fight. You know, I heard of a a woman who married a a man, and after some time in their marriage, she said, well, I knew I had married Mr. Wright. I just didn't know his first name was always. Add that one to my dad jokes. There are lots of people that just always have to be right, and they are not peacemakers. But neither is the person that sweeps everything under the rug and pretends that nothing's happening. I know people that put curtains on the elephant in the middle of the room. They decorate the elephant instead of addressing the elephant. And you and I need to move toward the trouble. Think about this. Christ was that way. It's for all of us. If we're going to be peacemakers, you have to deal with issues head on. Don't shrink back. Don't avoid don't sweep things under the rug don't avoid conflict at all cost mentality Um, there are people that would never ever address the elephant in the room now well I say that they will sometimes they just won't address it head on they'll talk about you and not to you or they'll tweet about you or they'll post about you, or they'll gossip about you. And by the way, as I'm talking about them versus you, I probably need to say, sometimes you'll talk about them. And sometimes you'll tweet about them. And sometimes you'll post about them. And you need to stop it. If we're going to be peacemakers, we don't gossip. We don't do an end around. We deal with things head on. We've said this before here at Hardy Street. At Hardy Street Baptist Church, as best we can, we don't talk about people. We talk to people. We love each other, and we love each other enough to be vulnerable and open and say, if there's something that I've done to offend you, I give you permission and the right to come and speak directly to it in my life. But don't talk about me. Don't leave this place and go have fried preacher for lunch. Don't roast your friends on social media. Don't gossip and click and talk about people. We deal with things head on, and that's a matter of being a peacemaker. You see, it's not a peacekeeper. A peacekeeper just sweep. Oh, we can't have any conflict. No. Jesus said, I I didn't come to bring full peace, but a sword. He came and he said, I would set father against son. And, And you say, how does that even jive? How does that come together? Because he was setting ultimate peace, not earthly peace. And you and I are called to be peacemakers. And sometimes it means that conflict will arise, but it leads to the ultimate place. Peacemakers value relationships and they see conflict as an opportunity to grow. 
that, that maybe I'll see a new perspective. Maybe I'll understand something that I didn't understand before. It, it was so frustrating to me at some levels. We attended the world's largest business meeting last week. 17,000 people in the room and 12 microphones and any one of those 17,000 could get up and they could speak in the room. Now, I don't know about your family, but every, the Southern Baptist Convention is kind of like a big family reunion, and every family's got a crazy uncle, right? If you don't know about that guy, maybe everybody in the family is pointing at you, okay? Maybe that's your role. But every family has got, you know, kind of some fringe, and, and that's no different than what we saw last week. But, but can I tell you, there was a heart attitude in general that said we want to be peacemakers and we want to advance the gospel. And the only way that we will be unified is when we unify under one head and one mission. We're a many-membered body. The, the fingernails doesn't have, don't have the same function as the ears. The ears and the mouth don't have the same function. And yet, all of the body is surrendered to the headship of Christ and for his mission. And we can get so bent out of shape. I mean, you get, you get five Christians together, especially Baptists. You've got 12 opinions. And, and we, we struggle and we fight and we bicker. And it happens in the home. And men, some of you are tired and worn out at the end of the day. You've put in all of your work. You've put in all of your words. You're, you're worn down and worn out. And you want to just jump in the recliner and put it in third gear and don't want to deal with anything. Engage. Move toward the trouble. Move head on. I've said this before. Too many children are told that they're cute in their dis disobedience and, and lack of, of manners and respect when they're really little. And that may be cute for a little while when they're two, but it's not cute when they're 15. And we need some dads that need to step into the role and be dad. Don't give up your authority, but give up your rights and say, this isn't about what I want, but I want to point them to what he wants. Very significant that you would move toward the trouble. That fits for moms, it fits for dads, it fits for husbands and wives, it, it fits for students. You need to deal with this. You need to understand that your conflict may be unique, but the fact that you're in conflict isn't. Conflict is a part of life. If there's life, there's growth, and if there's growth, there's friction. And when the world was in rebellion against God, what did he do? He moved toward the trouble. He did so in the incarnation. Our natural instinct oftentimes is to back away from trouble, but peacemakers move toward it. It's never easy, but Jesus did it, and where did it lead him? It led him to the cross. He moved toward the trouble. Number three, love before you're loved in return. Love before you're loved in turn. If you're going to be a peacemaker, then you initiate. I want you to repeat after me. It is always my turn to do the right thing. Let that wash in. Yeah, but pastor, you don't know what she said about me. Pastor, you don't know what he did to me. It is always my turn to do the right thing. Pastor, that's your opinion. No, it's not. It's backed up in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, if your brother has something against you, you leave your gift at the altar and you go and you make reconciliation. You make it right. It is my response. Yeah, but they've got the problem. No, it's my turn. 
As a peacemaker, I need to love before I'm loved in response. And I may not be loved back. That, that doesn't say love until you're loved. Well, if they haven't, then I'm gonna quit loving. No, you continue to love before you're loved in return. You love people and you love your family and you lead your family, but you do so with an active, proactive engagement, not reactionary involvement. Again, my kids could come into my house when they were young and they could come into the room and I'm watching TV or I'm reading a newspaper or a magazine and never ever look up. And I could line them up and say, you're doing this and I don't like it, stop it. You're not doing this, you need to start, start it. And just call them out. But never get beyond that to the heart issue of loving them enough to listen and to hear and to see and to work toward leading them toward peace with God. You see, they will not ultimately be at peace if I teach them that the highest aim of life is to get a good job or a good education to get a good job, to get a good salary. My highest aim for my kids was not, you need to find a good spouse and that's it. No. My highest aim for my kids was you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And you know what he'll do? We sang it. He will give you peace. Peace with God, peace in God, and ultimately peace for all eternity. That has to be the standard. And folks, we have to love people with an unending, everlasting love. It may not be reciprocated. It may not be immediate, but you need to initiate. Number, well, let me just say this. What if God had waited till you loved him before he died for you? There would have never been peace. There would have never been an eternal showdown on Calvary. God made the first move. God demonstrated his love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. We love him because he first loved us. Number four, practice restraint, especially with your tongue. This one will be painful for a lot of you. It's painful for a lot of us. Some of us in this room are verbose. And restraint and using our tongues are not always in the same sentence. The Bible says in James 1.19, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Peacemakers practice restraint. There are times that you could unload on someone, but if you're a peacemaker, you'll hold back. You, you could dump the whole load on them and explode that. And you might even be right, but guess what? Refer to number one. Give up your rights. Don't, don't say, now's my chance. I'm going to blast them. I'm going to let them have it. It may not do any good in the process of peacemaking. Think about this. Th this is surely one of the most obvious tactics and one of the most important and maybe one of the most difficult. What is the leading idol in our culture? It's I must say what I think. I must say what I feel. Really? <laughs> but that's become an idol. I just can't help myself. I can't hold back. I've got to inject in that conversation. And there's such ungodliness. The Bible says when words are many, sin is present. <laughs> Maybe we should speak less. If you want to be a peacemaker, learn to practice restraint. You know, when you hear something that, that you just have to, you feel like you have to share it, stop yourself and say, is it wise for me to share this? Is it right for me to share? Is it mine to share? 
and you begin to practice restraint with your tongue. Again, if, if in confrontation you felt like you needed to unload everything, even in honest confrontation when they have done something wrong, if you're a peacemaker, you won't. What if God unloaded all of your sin on you at one time? Every way which you had ever wronged him, every opportunity that you had ever taken to sin and rebel against him, you would never recover from that, ever. You couldn't bear it, but Christ did. And in God's grace, he shows us our sin slowly. So why wouldn't you do that for somebody else? Wives, don't pick apart every single thing that your husband is doing wrong. Husbands, don't exasperate your kids by wearing them down and unloading them on them all the time. Patiently, graciously, mercifully deal with them in love and in grace and be a peacemaker. Does that make sense to anyone here, yes or no? I hope that you're tracking along because these things come straight from the heart of God. Practice restraint especially in relation to the tongue. Think about this. One of the fruit of the Spirit that we know is self-control. Very rarely have I had a reason to regret something when I stayed silent. <laughs> Let me say that again. Very rarely have I had regrets over staying silent. And there have been times that I should have spoken up about something, but when it comes to something that would be about my own rights and my own demands and my own way, Usually when I keep my mouth shut, it serves me very, very well. Practice restraint. Number five, share the gospel. Share the gospel. You want to be a peacemaker, dad? Lead your children to Jesus. You want to be a peacemaker, mom? Lead your neighbors, your friends to Christ. Lead them toward Christ, but then lead them to Christ. I love this. There's verse after verse that equate the feet with the gospel. Ephesians 6, 15, as shoes for your feet, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. We, we talk about running with the gospel. That It's from 2 Thessalonians 3 where Paul said, pray that the word of the Lord may speed ahead. It may move swiftly. I love that. That you would run to the world with the gospel. The Bible connects the gospel with feet, with movement, with running. Romans 10, 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who carry good news. Here is the gospel of peace like shoes to your feet. The Bible uses a beautiful word, a beautiful word for peace. It's the word shalom. And the word shalom is well-rounded. It doesn't just mean peace. It means completion. It means satisfaction. It means wholeness. I, I love this. When you put Shabbat shalom together, Shabbat is Sabbath. Sabbath peace means that you rest long enough to recover your wholeness. <laughs> Have you ever felt so frazzled that you said, I just need a break to kind of get myself back together? That's the biblical Hebrew picture of Shabbat Shalom, of peace on the Sabbath, that God would give you rest. God says that he will give you peace. You read through all of the Old Testament. You begin to read the Psalms and see all the places where God says, my peace I will give to you, and you'll rest in perfect peace when your mind is stayed on me. And the song that we sang, he says, I give 
peace. I give shalom. I give wholeness. God will take you the brokenness of your life. He'll take, you the, take the broken pieces and the parts of your life and the mess that you've made of your life. Maybe you walked into this place. I don't know everybody here. Maybe you walked into this place and your life is in shambles. Maybe it looks good on the outside, but on the inside you're dying. You're crying out and you're longing for some wholeness. You're longing for completion. You're longing for satisfaction. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He gives shalom. And can I tell you that the greatest thing that we as a church can do if we're going to be called and recognized as children of God is to be peacemakers, which means we go share the gospel. We may need to get to the place of knocking on some doors. I've got to tell you, my heart was stirred when I thought about all the things that we do as a church. When we went to the convention to hear stories of souls that were saved and lives that were changed and churches that had been planted, folks, we've got to roll up our sleeves, re-energize our focus and say, we will reach into the lostness of Hattiesburg. We'll reach into the lostness of the Pine Belt. We'll share the gospel, this glorious good news. Why wouldn't we want everyone to experience peace? Maybe it's because there's some turmoil in here, not amongst ourselves. We've had very, very little dissension. We've had differences of opinion. There's not been some undertow in our church, and I'm so thankful for that. But can I tell you, if you and I live like the world and don't resemble the features of the Father, we won't walk in peace. You can't straddle the fence and not experience pain. And we're walking in two different directions. We've got a foot in the world and the foot in the Word, and we're missing it. Share the gospel. Share the gospel. Share the gospel. Be a person that spreads peace. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled or afraid. When Jesus met the disciples after resurrection, he immediately and continually said, peace. You know, shalom is just a a key word and image there. That God was pleased, listen to this, Colossians 1. God was pleased through Christ to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through Christ's blood shed on the cross. Again, what's the solution? Today, surrender. Lord, I surrender. I give myself to you. And when you do, you'll experience perfect peace. I put in your listening guide just a very pointed question. Are you at peace with God? And the, the plea there is that you would evaluate your own life. And you would say, you know what, Pastor, I've been in church for a long time, but I've never experienced transformational peace. I've not been a peacemaker. I've not been at peace with myself. I've not been at peace with God. I continually collide with people around me. That Peacemaking is not a part of my life. Maybe it's because you're not a son of God, a child of God, a, a daughter of God. Maybe it's because you're not a peacemaker that you would recognize, I need Christ. We're going to come to the Lord's table. The ultimate picture, if you will. I mean, we call it communion. Union with God. In just a moment, I'm going to lead us through that as the the culmination of this message and this service. But I want you to listen. If you did not receive communion supplies in just a moment, we'll have some men come through and pass those out. So just just sit tight. But think about this. 
Christ's broken body and shed blood is the way for you and for me to be reconciled to God. It was him giving up his rights. It was him moving toward trouble. It was him not only giving up his rights, but showing restraint. It says that he was silent before his accusers like a lamb to the slaughter. All five of these points, well, the first four are direct examples from Christ. The fifth one is Christ. When we say we're going to share the gospel, we're just telling people about Jesus. Oh, that that would be part of our lives. The Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians, when instruction was given on how to share at the Lord's table, that there were many who had taken it in an unworthy manner. It doesn't say that they were unworthy to take it, but they took it in an unworthy manner. It said many of them fell ill and some of them died. That ought to get your attention before I hand you something to eat or drink, right? Wait, what? What it was all about was this. They were to ask God to look into their hearts and if there was malice if there was bitterness if there was racism if there was jealousy if there was envy if there was a grudge if there was selfishness they need to confess and forsake that and say Lord I want my heart to be right and the beatitude says if you're pure in heart you'll see God those that see God are pure in heart and the Bible says that those who make peace will be known, will be called sons of God. They don't become sons of God because they're peacemakers. They're peacemakers as evidence of the fact that they are children of God. So together we come to the table, and the reason I mention that is we want to give everyone just an opportunity to be introspective. Maybe you'll take just a moment and pray. I'm going to ask uh, musicians to come, and they can play softly, and I'm going to ask a couple of our men to come. Buddy, if you would see to that. If you did not receive communion supplies this morning, would you raise your hand, and we'll be glad to get those to you. Just keep it held up, and they should be coming around. If you're not waiting for communion supplies, would you just bow your head and take this time to pray? If you are waiting, just raise your hand high and they'll come to you with those elements. Father, we are overwhelmed with gratitude for the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. And on the night that you were to be betrayed, Jesus, you broke bread and you held up the cup and you gave thanks for them. And God, we can't even comprehend that, that you would thank the Father for the suffering that you knew awaited. But you ran toward the trouble for our sake so that we who our sin would experience the exchange life. Father, you laid upon him who was no sin. In fact, you made him to become sin in order that we who knew no righteousness would become the righteousness of God in Christ.
Father, as we have asked for cleansing, as we've confessed sin this morning, we receive freely and joyfully the table of the Lord, knowing that it represents the shed blood, the broken body. And God, every time that we do this, your word tells us that we proclaim your death until you come again. So thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you will, just take the bread. It's on one side. Scripture says that Jesus took bread and he gave thanks for it. And after giving thanks for it, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And Jesus also on that night took the cup. The third cup in the celebration of the Passover. It it was a marriage cup. We talked about that some last year in the Jewish custom that when a proposal was made that a a bridegroom would drink a cup of wine to to seal the commitment and then he would say, I'm going to go away. I'm going to come back for you. Well, Jesus obviously said those words. I go to prepare a place for you. Do not let your heart be troubled. I will come again. And he said, on that night, I will not drink this cup with you again until I drink it in my Father's kingdom. What a celebration. So every time we come to this table and we share in communion together, we do so looking back to the cross, but looking forward to a time that we will celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb. Because Jesus said he'd come back and get his own. So on that night, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you, the blood of the new covenant. And as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim my death until I come again. Do this in remembrance of me. This morning here in the house of the Lord, it is good for us as a church family to walk in peace. Amen? I pray that you would take that listening guide. We've called it GPS, Grow, Pray, Study. And I've given you some some additional advice on how to be a peacemaker. I want you to read through that this week. I want to encourage you to do that. There's some resources there. There's a challenge for praying through Scripture and looking and identifying places in the Bible that have to do with peace. Maybe this week, if all of us are studying about and thinking about and praying over peace, it'll make a difference in your home. It'll make a difference in our church, and it'll make a difference in the world. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Amen? I want us today to be dismissed. Let's stand together, and I'll pray. And as we're dismissed, dads, again, happy Father's Day. We're grateful for your impact and influence in your family's life. And I pray blessings upon you this week. This week we'll meet again at 10.30 on Wednesday morning and then again at 6 that evening. It's the same Bible study. I'll be giving some report about the Southern Baptist Convention. It'll be a great time. All of our normal activities of of children and youth, those kinds of things you can see in the the celebration guide, the things that are going on. Uh, We will have choir this Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, so you come and be a part of that. Mackenzie mentioned that we take the month of July off midweek. We have camps that go on and mission trips and other other activities. And so you come and be a part of this midweek fill-up. If you want to be uh, uh, on the list for the meal, 
get signed up by tomorrow and we would encourage you, you can do that today at the connect stations but we do a family meal at five o'clock on Wednesdays it's always a great time to be together there's activities for your kids for your youth and for every age in between have you been blessed today to be in the house of the Lord amen let's pray together Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you in the name of Jesus for the peace that is available in and through Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the ways that you've moved into our world and you humbled yourself. We're thankful that you moved toward the issue, that you did not wait until we first loved you, but we love because you first loved us. Thank you, Father, for the perfect mission of God, the, the, the plan of salvation that has unfolded through the ages and is extended to us today. We love you and we praise you. I pray that you would bless fathers with the courage to stand and be peacemakers. And God, give to all of us as your children the faith to trust you to move forward, to do everything that you call us to do in obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.